0: Feel character on Radio Catskill.
1: WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello.
2: Radio Catskill.
1: On air, online, on your smartphone, and on your smart speaker. Public radio for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. We are Radio Catskill keeping you connected.
2: Live from Radio Catskill Studios in Liberty, New York, this is the Local Edition. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Coming up tonight, we have a lot of local news for you. unfortunate passing of a Delaware Valley High School junior. An update on the pavilion in the town of Tustin. Wade St. Germain, owner of Cabernet Franks, is on with Tim Bruno this morning on Radio Chatskill. They had an afternoon in court. We'll get an update on what happened there. And all of this is going to come to us courtesy of The River Reporter's own Ruby Rainer. Joining us now on the phone, Ruby. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Ethan. So, um, like we'll get to all those stories coming up, but I want to start first with uh, you you did a deep dive on a topic you've been taking a lot of a, a big long look at. You we've spent a lot of time talking about the housing situation in our area on air uh, with you and others. We've also talked about the grand jury recommendations to Sullivan County following the death of that uh, uh, toddler last year uh, in, in temporary public housing. So this this is a big story. Your headline is uh, on this one, Housing Shortage and Opioids Combined to Create Sullivan County's Greatest Crisis. So where do you want to start on this one?
1: Um, yeah, there's so, there's so many places. Um, I think that, uh, like you said, I've talked about the death of Akasha Lover, the 16 month old baby who died in an overdose of a mix of fentanyl and xylazine last May. And I think many people have, have heard, you know, stories about housing and, um, this kind of is a connection between those two issues. Um, this, uh, Akasha died in the Knights Inn, which is a motel in Monticello that's under contract with Sullivan County to house um, houseless people, and you can really see how both opioid use and housing insecurity and homelessness are really happening at the same time um, when you look at this situation. Um, the grand jury report, which, we, which you mentioned and, and we've discussed, um, one of the recommendations that they explicitly gave was that there should be a complete rethinking of the use of motels to house vulnerable populations in Sullivan County. And they talk about in the report um, this you can really see, and I, I saw in my own reporting and talking with people um, who had been staying in the nights in, that there's, you know, active drug dealers next to a motel room with someone who's a recovering addict. And that just doesn't necessarily create the a conducive environment for recovery or for rehabilitation. So no. I think that housing and um, opioid in, in the county can't, can't be looked at in a silo when they're interacting, um, as we see at the, at the nights in.
2: Wow. So can you talk a little bit just to give listeners a, a reminder about the, the use of motels for, I, I called it temporary public housing. Is that an accurate term? Do they use a different term?
1: Yeah. So they're man. So in Sullivan, in New York state and in Sullivan County are mandated to provide people who are homeless with, um, temporary housing. There's a lot of conditions that, are required to meet in order to be given that. But because there is housing issues, as we know, for a multitude of reasons, which we can also talk about, um, they, they, the county felt that this was an option to, to curb that issue and to put people in these housing because of the shortage. So they have a, a contract with the motel of a block of 30 rooms um, where they place um, people who
2: um don't have homes so and and just another refresher for the listener to just to point out they might have heard us talking about the nights in last year because that was also one of the places where they were going to start uh, housing migrants and refugees that had been bused to new york city they actually did arrive and were here temporarily before being moved Elsewhere, there was there was uh, quite a bit of pushback about that across upstate New York. Similar things were happening, uh, but here locally, Sullivan County responded by saying, "Hey, we're experiencing a housing crisis, and we need we need that space at motels like the night tend to be able to to place people." Yeah, yeah. So, are there enough caseworkers? Uh, like, like who's looking after this system, and are there enough of them?
1: Yeah. So one of the the I think, interesting things about this is that with the contract that the county signed with the Knights Inn, they were provided with a room for a caseworker to work out of. And there is a, a caseworker who works out of the room, and they have about 25 to, to 30 cases. Um, but when I was speaking to people there, one one man, he um, was there with his um, daughter, his daughter who was a baby and he said he had gotten onto food stamps and through social services in the county um but that the process was definitely confusing and, and wasn't straightforward and i'd asked him like if he received help from the caseworker there and he he didn't know what i was talking about um and another man also uh was not yet on um food stamps and said that he was he was hungry and that he didn't know anything about a caseworker there and i spoke with john little the the commissioner of. Um, Social serve, Department of Social Services, and he, he said that there is a caseworker that's there, but they are out a lot helping their clients. So they're not necessarily, you know, it's not an, an open-door policy where somebody can walk in and say, I'm really confused, like, am I supposed to go to the, go to the Department of Social Services building and, uh, you know, fill something out for food stamps there, or where can I get access to, um, do I need to go to the DMV, or what paper do I need to file in order to do this? It's not there's not somebody there who can kind of provide that, that information. Um, so I definitely think that more caseworkers, um, because it seems like there's, it's it's also, there's just a lot, there's people who are openly, you know, using drugs. And it's, they, they both said, um, a couple of the other people that I spoke to said that, you know, it's, It's dirty. The grand jury report said that it was no place to raise a baby because there's like a small sink and it's smelly. Um, so I think like more oversight can, could only, um, improve the situation.
2: Right, and and just that observation about the need for for more workers is that something that you're hearing from uh, anybody out there, or is this just you know your recommendation? What you're seeing as a journalist talking to these people and hearing what their needs are?
1: No, um, John Little also is is interested in expanding the the caseworkers who are working there now are through a consulting agency based out of Middletown, um, and I he said he's, he wants to um, expand their, um the amount of caseworkers who are there. Um, but again, like all of these things that we, we talk about, um, the the legislature holds the purse strings.
2: Yes, and this is one of the questions that we had, you and I specifically, I think a lot of people had coming into this year, knowing that there's going to be a new legislature in, and knowing that there's a housing crisis is just wondering... What's going to happen next? What steps are going to be taken? Um, have you heard from anybody else out there in the county looking at this problem, uh, from the legislature or under the legislature or, or just out there on the ground working with people talking about this intersection of, uh, addiction and housing, uh, housing and the opioid crisis that we're in? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll read a quote from, from John Little. Um, specifically um, in regards to this. So he says, quote, these are big policy issues for the county, and by policy I mean spending issues and decisions. My goal is to get more people into permanent housing. That's what all the studies that are out there today say. That's where you should be going. That's where the better outcomes are in terms of health, in terms of mental health. Beating poverty is getting people into actual housing, not shelters or motels. Um, And in line with that, um, he said that, himself, um, the county manager, Joshua Potosek, and the planning commissioner, Heather Brown, have been speaking with stakeholders and bringing people together who could potentially develop property, um, people who want to invest in their community and who are interested in building housing in Sullivan County in a way that's that's cooperative. Um, So there is definitely, I think, it seems a motion in that direction, and the legislature last week Um, approved a consultant to come in and look at the different recommendations from the grand jury and give advice on which should be a priority and which are necessary for the legislature to uh, move forward on more immediately um, than others.
2: Can I just ask you, what what were you seeing and hearing from people? Like you told me like some of the information you got from the folks that are staying at the motel, but, but can you, can you tell us anything uh, about them and what, what, what you were feeling about how they're feeling and, and, and just, just what it's like and how did they feel about you coming to talk to them?
1: Yeah. Um, so I, Jacqueline, who, um, is a recovering addict and who has um, received assistance from department of social services and lives in, um, Department of Social Services, like a contracted company housing, so it's through them. She was just explaining, like, her experience um, going through kind of different social services, um, different rehabilitative services provided by the county, um, and just was like, it's really hopeless. Like, it just feels like you're trying really hard to get your life together. You're trying really hard to, um, you know, recover if you're an addict or find a house, and there's just a lot of of roadblocks and a lot of kind of, I think, points of just hopelessness along the way. And that's kind of her her sentiment about how how she's felt um, trying to trying to improve her own life.
2: Yeah, this is a big new feature from you in The River Reporter, Uh, again, an, an issue that I know uh, you're diving down deep into you've taken a real interest in on um, many people in the area have a concern about as a journalist, as a reporter, wh- what are the next steps for you as you continue to cover the housing and, and or uh, opioid crisis stories?
1: Yeah, I think one thing I'm, I'm super curious to continue to look at. There was a um, resiliency plan that um, was presented at the legislature, which also found that just like by far the biggest, um, theme of, you know, concern in the county is housing, so I think that it seems that there is now a very clear understanding between many different um, government departments that this is an issue, right, because this comes from the planning department, we're talking about, you know, the drug task force, which is a, is a you know, a slew of different um, government stakeholders that include law enforcement and also nonprofit organizations in the area, Um, It seems like there's a clear consensus um, in terms of reports and um, different, uh, you know, government officials saying this is a problem. And so I think this first consultant um, look at the recommendations from the grand jury, and then also um, we've discussed the um, crisis center that has been mentioned that might be Potentially built that people were interested in. I think keeping keeping eyes on whether these things are moving forward and how they're moving forward is is what really is going
2: to come. Is that going to answer the other question that's kind of being left unasked here? Which is if people, if they, if we aren't going to give temporary public housing to people in the motels, if the recommendations to not use them, then where are we going to put people? How are we going to address this issue? Is a crisis center possibly one of those responses? Yeah,
1: I think that it's not a one. I don't think there's going to be one. I don't think they can do one thing. I think that uh, John Little mentioned talking with different people who are already in the community who community who want to participate in building um, affordable housing. Um, He said also the need to then work with towns and um, local like local town governments to. You know, have their cooperation in making that happen. Um, and in order to build these more permanent solutions um, other than motels.
2: Right. Okay, well, I want to thank you for going over this with us, and uh, we're, we've got more stories to go over tonight. But we're going to take a, a quick break, and we'll be right back when we return on the local edition. Cabernet Franks has its day in court, but not the one that they were expecting. Ruby Rayner was there. That's still to come. Stay with us. You are listening to the local edition, winner of excellence and broadcasting awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local.
0: Radio Catskills supporters include Forage and Gather Market, now open seven days a week on Main Street in Hurleyville, offering gourmet coffee and tea, grab-and-go, hot soup, groceries, and more. Menus and more information at foragecatskills.com. This week on the Retro Cocktail Hour, we'll hear the mambo beat of Tito Puente, private eye jazz from a 50s film noir. And the exotic sounds of Arthur Lyman. I'm Darrell Brogdon. Why not join me where the music's shaken, not stirred. The Retro Cocktail Hour. Coming up tonight at 7 on Radio Catskill.
2: of course, before we get to the hour, we still have The Daily from The New York Times. And this program here, it's a local edition. Welcome back. I'm Jason Dole. I'm joined on the phone uh, by Ruby Rayner from The River Reporter. And we're talking about the news. Ruby, um, I want to ask you about what happened in Liberty today um, when uh Wade St. Germain and R.J. Baker from Cabernet Franks, Uh, went to court. But if you don't mind, I'd like to play a clip because Wade was on air this morning with uh, uh, Tim Bruno kind of giving some background from his perspective of what's been going on. So uh, this is Wade talking earlier and uh, talking about what he's been experiencing over the last eight years uh, from his neighbor.
0: You know, we've been assaulted. We've been uh, stalked and harassed. He's been uh, imprisoned three times for violating orders of protection And again, he has multiple charges pending against him. The DA took three felony charges in contempt in the first because since he got out of jail last time, he has been found to violate the order of protection three times. And instead of giving one to four years sentence recommendation, they have offered him a 30-day plea deal. The charges that are against us are based on a photograph of our neighbor exposing himself and urinating on our property And a camera, which he asserts is looking into his bathroom and bedroom, this camera uh, looks straight down our building at another camera, which was smashed off last year. Uh, That's the only way to protect that camera. And that camera caught our neighbor shoveling uh, dirty cat litter and cat food underneath our building. And so they want that camera removed. Uh, And that resulted in the contempt in the first charge. So now the, the things that we have you know, provided, the evidence that we have provided is being used against us. And uh, it's bad enough having a stalker and trying to run a business, working 70 hours a week and looking after RJ's mom. We have real problems that are not caused by stalkers, you know, just trying to get through life. And this is just really egregious and heinous.
2: And that full interview is up at WJFFradio.org. And the headline kind of says it all. Cabernet Frank's owners plan to move out due to ongoing dispute with neighbor. Uh Ruby, well, earlier this week I was a little bit surprised that given that history that I'm somewhat familiar with, a lot of us in the community have heard about to hear that it was actually uh RJ and Wade, co owners of Cabernet Franks, uh who who were uh, arrested in order to report to court. Um and they were actually in court today uh in liberty. Uh can you tell us what that was like
1: Yeah. So, they had a lot of people come out um, in support of them i'd say there was about twenty five to thirty people um, who were there to support both wade and r j and um, make sure that they kind of they wanted them to know that they are all part of the community and they didn't agree with what was happening and thought it was unfair and um, all told me in just ringing endorsements, how much they, they love Cabernet Franks and just feel really kind of hurt that uh, this horrible thing has gone on and is, is negatively affecting Wade and RJ um, in this way.
2: Did you happen to learn did you hear from anyone that's uh, on the other side of this issue?
1: No, there wasn't anyone that I saw there who seemed to be, it was the, uh, you know, it's the district attorney's office, so the, the client wasn't there um, in terms of that. They just appeared in front um, needing to, and they asked the DA to produce discovery. Um, the DA said that they would produce discovery and asked for their request. To be written motions. That the lawyer Michael Sussman um, then requested a new date for that, which um, will be March 20th, and they have, you know, until then to produce this discovery that these charges are, are based on. So it's not; it, it's still early.
2: It's still early, and in- it
1: could be thrown out um, if the they don't produce the discovery, which is the these those photos and, and videos that um, Weed was referring to in the recording
2: so sorry if 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 Wade and r j don't produce the photos, it could be thrown out no 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 so so who needs to produce the photos
1: um the district attorney would need to obtain them
2: okay all right that's that's an uh interesting well how's that supposed to to shake out
1: yeah i i, I i'm I'm not sure exactly I'm not sure if they'll they'll produce the discovery and move forward or if the case will, will be thrown out.
2: Like you said, it's early in this process. If it's not thrown out, is this something that could, could take a while to go through the, the legal process?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly, which I think um, both Wade and RJ don't, don't, don't want to do and feel, feel very upset about in general because the person who um, you know, filed the charges is the same person that's been um, harassing them.
2: Right. Okay. Anything else that you uh, learned today?
1: Um, I think they're just Michael, Michael Sussman, the, the lawyer. He was speaking after the case and just really um, affirming that to the to the people who came out in support of Weed and RJ that you know this was this was really unfair and that they were gonna they're gonna fight this these charges and. Um, make sure that they, he can do everything he can as, as their lawyer to to stop this this case kind of from moving forward and from negatively affecting them any any more than it already has
2: right okay um, moving from liberty now to tustin you have an update on the proposed pavilion structure uh, this is a controversial thing What what are people disagreeing about
1: This has been very controversial in, in Tustin. There was a proposal for, uh, there is a proposal for a pavilion to be built, um, in town from a grant. And there's just a lot of disagreement about it. A lot of people think the pavilion is an absolutely great idea. Um, it's going to provide shade, a place to play for kids, potential for hosting events and to create potentially even revenue stream for the town if they were to rent it out. Um, and other people, I think, feel really concerned about the possibility that the maintenance would cause taxes to increase. It would cause noise, traffic issues. Um, and so there's been, there's just been a lot of a disagreement among people in, in those two different camps. And it actually has increased engagement a lot in um, town meetings and, and, in town town civics in general, um, there's been a group a group organized a bunch of families who I had never really been to town meetings came out in support of the pavilion um, with their kids, and a lot of them were newer residents um, talking about how they really uh, wanted the pavilion and there's also been a group organized called Friends of the Flats who um, have who live in the area where the pavilion would be built. Um, and in addition to, it, though it came out of this pavilion, they've also, they really mobilized people to come to the uh, sewage rate public hearing. Um, the chairperson actually mentioned how the the attendance had increased. So you can see that despite, despite the pavilion, um, there has been, there has been some more engagement in what's going on in the town, and um, as as a result,
2: yeah. Well, uh, that it gets uh, folks out to the meeting when there's when there's a, a controversy or disagreement. Uh, that 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 is something that happens. So I guess that's one good thing that people are engaged. Is there is there any movement on this issue, or is it still at the height of disagreement?
1: Um, so th- it, where it stands is that it is moving forward they the, the town submitted the proposal to the upper Delaware council because it is within the river corridor and the organization has to look at whether it is in line with um, the management plan and approve it or disapprove it they haven't said whether it will be approved or not but it it's under review, and I think in the next upper Delaware council meeting they'll they'll have some they'll have some updates on that, and I think at that point it's been at the standstill in terms of the, the council on whether they're going to really move forward or kind of pull back and so I think they'll have to make a decision once make make a decision in one direction, something right. um, when they hear back from the upper Delaware council based on that decision
2: so based on what you're hearing from folks, given that. That a decision needs to be made. Is this increased engagement more likely to facilitate a speedy a uh, 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 decision, or is it likely to make that decision take a little longer?
1: Um, I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't know. That's okay. I don't know, but I think that it did the friends of the flats, which I thought was. Um, interesting. It seems to be a very mixed membership um, age-wise. So, and um, I spoke with one of the members and he was like, I, you know, I heard ideas about what people view and want for this town that i never really was exposed to before. So it seems like at least um, people are talking to one another, which I think is important.
2: Well, that's good. Yeah. I was just throwing that out there because that's kind of the question I'm asking now. It's like, what, what's the nature of the engagement and will it have a, a net positive effect or otherwise? And that's a great observation that because that doesn't always happen. A lot of times when there's engagement, people aren't listening to each other. They're just kind of yelling at each other. So that's that's neat that, that uh, people are meeting their neighbors and learning something. Exactly. Great. So, uh, finally, unfortunately, we got to end the, the program. We have, uh, another minute and a half here. No, we got two minutes here to talk about, um, unfortunately, uh, a Delaware Valley High School junior, uh, was, was recently killed. Uh, th- this is, this is very sad, very young person in the community. Can you, can you give us the details?
1: Yeah. Riley Crick, um, died really tragically, um, on Monday, January 22nd. Um, He was struck by a New Jersey transit train, and the media liaison for the Metropolitan Transit Authority said that there was no criminality involved. Um, There'll be, there's at the school, Delaware Valley High School, there's going to be increased support for uh, the students and for people who are grieving this really, really horrible, horrible thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, this must be devastating for, for the school and the wider community.
1: Yeah, um, his one of his friends just was quoted saying he just was like a really, really great person. He always made everyone around him um, smile. And Crick's um, pastor, um, who told the Mid-Hudson, told Mid-Hudson News um, that he was like just super fun, friendly, and that it's... A, he, he said, quote, it's a tragedy and mystery. I can say that as much as we, we know people, so many of person's thoughts and feelings are just not revealed. Um, and that no matter how some, close someone is with their family or happy they seem, that it's really important to check in on them.
2: The, the photo that, that accompanies uh, the, the story in the reporter uh, on, on Riley uh, shows him looks like he's running track. Is that, is that something that he did? Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, bringing the news to us uh, about this. What else can people look forward to in this week's paper?
1: Um, There is a story about a car that sank in a river in Calicoon and the journey of getting it out.
2: Okay. All right. Well... Ruby, thanks again for for joining us. There's a lot of news to get through tonight, and I'm I'm so glad that we had you uh, to give us all of these updates. Uh, I wish you the best of luck, and people can hear the news from you again this weekend. Thanks, Jason. Well, that's it for the local edition tonight. I've been your host, Jason Dole. Thank you so much for listening. Do keep listening. We're always live streaming at wjffradio.org. That's where you can also find all of our podcasts. You can also sign up for the Local Edition podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode. Get it wherever you get your podcasts from. Search for Radio Catskill Local Edition. We got The Daily coming up next, and after that, it's the Retro Cocktail Hour. Overnight low down to 27 tonight. Radio Catskill.